morning. Scriptures today is from Luke 14, 15 to 24, the parable of the great feast. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I have I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. It's great to have Lori and Alex Muse with us for the past uh, number of months and uh, Lori reading the scripture this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, if you have uh, been away for a little while or if you're here for the first time, uh, we're in the uh, second Sunday of our series, Just Imagine. And if you didn't get a storybook or a little brochure, uh, they are available to you from the ushers. If you didn't pick one up on the way in this morning, uh, they're available to you. So you are very, very welcome to pick one up following the, the service this morning. And uh, Tiffany is at work behind us, uh, our local artist, and uh, she's awesome. Last week, uh, she painted a picture called The Power of a Dream. And we've hung it here, and we're going to just keep hanging them one after another. There'll be four of them, and then there'll be one that runs kind of parallel to them. So, Tiffany, I can never put you on the spot. I know that. I watched you last Sunday just so, like, oh, on the spot, you, you talked. So I'm going to get you to talk again. Okay. What's up here? Um, I, I'm painting a picture of Abraham. When um, I found out the sermon topic was about faith, I thought about it for a while, and then he was the first person that really kept coming to mind. And the image I saw, which is probably a popular image if you're going to look at Abraham, which is him standing underneath the starry sky, um, that was a conversation that he had with God. God promised him that he would have um, offspring, that outnumbered the stars, which is inconceivable. Like, and so that image to me was just so powerful because he and his wife, well, his wife was barren, so he had no kids, and he was a very, very old man. So for him to trust God at that, which just seems like such a, such a huge promise, just to trust God that, yeah, I'm going to have kids when he doesn't have any kids, and it looks like there's no hope of having kids. 
And uh, God did so much more with Abraham than just that. And Abraham had no idea. He just trusted God at his word. So, and he's about 90 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and they called, yeah, they called him withered. He was old. <laughs> but he trusted God. Thanks, Tiff. Let's give her a big hand. <clears throat> We've got these oranges again here this morning that reminds us that we're to be fruit in our community. Salt, light, now we have a new image, fruit. Last week we, uh, we spoke of using our imagination uh, to build faith and to impact our future. <clears throat> and it was called the power of a dream. This morning uh, our theme is the, the power of a going faith. The power of a going faith. And we're in the passage that uh, uh, Lori read for us out of Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 to 24. <clears throat> I think some of the most toxic words, but innocent words, in the English language are, but all I said was, but all I said was, have, have you ever had someone say that to you? I don't know why you're so upset. So all I said was, all I said was, I mean, all I said was, is your mother coming to visit again? <laughs> all I said. All I said, are we having spaghetti again for supper? That's all I said. Can be translated to mean I'm innocent. My motives are a little pure here. So when we preface our remarks with all I said was, we could be saying, there's nothing wrong with me. The problem is with those people around me. So in the passage before us, there's some shifting going on. Not taking ownership for dealing with the issue at hand. We can call them excuses, but they kind of look innocent, like all I said was. The passage is often referred to as the parable of the great feast. The parable was the text of the last sermon of D.L. Moody. He was getting up in years and he was sick. And he preached this text, D.L. Moody, in Kansas City. He was so sick and his heart was throbbing that he kind of had to hang on to the, the organ. And uh, he preached with all his heart. He said to his students before he left Chicago uh, that he had a compassion, he had a passion to preach more than ever before in that last sermon. And so he preached a sermon called Excuses. Uh, Fifty people responded to Christ that night. Uh, and he left for home the next day, and a month later he died. But up to the very end... D.L. Moody was compelling people to come in, to come in. So when you look at the parable, there seems to be an emphasis on both coming and going. Coming and going. A coming faith and a going faith. And I wonder if God doesn't change the verbs in our lives as we grow in maturity in our journey with him. We start with come... But hopefully we move to go. And I see that as we mature as a congregation, as a church. That God is switching the verbs for us. From coming 
to going. From focus on it being all about us to a missional focus. So to refresh your memory of the parable, Jesus tells a story about a man who prepared a great feast. And what do you do when you want someone to attend a dinner that you're putting on? Well, you send out an invitation or lots of invitations. And uh, you announce that the banquet is ready, but the invited guests began to make excuses. The excuses, as you heard in the scripture, were fairly wide-ranging. And when the invitations were turned down, the, the Bible says that the master was furious and he issued another invitation, and this time in a more personal way. He tells his servant to tell people to come to the banquet. And now the invitation was to the poor and to the crippled and to the blind and the lame. And the servant responded to the master that after all of his personal invitations had gone out and he had connected with people, well, there was still room. And all the places were not yet filled. And so the master sends him out again saying, well, then urge anyone, urge everybody you can find to come into the house so my house will be full. And so that's the story. That's the story. There are two words that call for our attention. The first one is come. And in the story, Jesus says, come. The banquet's ready. Come, the banquet's ready. Well, certainly that's a reminder that God has invited us all to a big party. And it is a big party. It's a very big party. And he says, come. It's the biggest party in the universe. And it's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. It's a forever banquet. It's the party to end all parties. It's going to be a celebration that lasts for eternity. And the invitations have all gone out. They've been issued. And you got one. Your name's on the list. You're on the list. Don't know if you've responded, but your name's on the list. Well, let's think about that banquet. The image of a great banquet is used as a metaphor. It's the place where God addresses our deepest needs. You might be even thinking this morning of the Last Supper because that was a bit of a banquet. It was, wasn't a large-scale banquet, but it was an intimate gathering with Jesus and his disciples and the washing of the feet of the disciples and the reminder of God's call upon these men to go out and serve. And Jesus said, I've set you an example. Now just go and do what I've already done. And then, of course, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that banquet speaks of the relationship between the followers of Christ and the Lamb of God. And at last, when we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the mission is complete. There is great joy in the presence of the Lord forever. And there is such beautiful communion through all eternity. So the banquet is a metaphor for coming to God. Coming to God is like an invitation to a banquet. First of all, the invitation to the great banquet is really an invitation to the heart of God. I grew up in a church plant. Actually, I'd never thought of it that way before until I started writing this week. Because I've always said I, I've never had any experience in a church plant. And then I thought, you know, really, 
I realized that a few people had a vision for a church for a church in our rural community when I was a kid. And I just didn't put the pieces together. And where did they go to find a place to meet? Well, the local community out in rural central Alberta. And they found a place to meet. And the leaders went from house to house and they invited people to come. And that's how my mom and dad started to go to church. Uh, so just like we might be inclined to today, we find a school, we find a public building, and that was church planning. But I just never thought of it that way. Because they just rented the church, the, the church on Sunday. They invited our family and we came. And it was a school building. It was a one-room school building. And uh, it was school through the week. It was Sunday church on Sunday. And it was a very small school, seven, 800 square feet, I'm guessing. And that was it. But that's where I first heard the invitation to come to Christ. And a man who had a severe stuttering problem had the courage to step forward and say, I will be faithful to lead this small church. And every Sunday he preached. He had a great heart. I remember him so well. He had a sincere heart. And my brother and I, probably seven, eight, nine years old when we started attending. You see, we've had something of a nomadic journey here at TCC until we were able finally to construct this building. Richly privileged to have this building. It's used, some of you know, it's used almost 24-7. It's a wonderful facility for us to do the work of God in this community. But when we start again, another church plant, it doesn't really matter where we meet because we've learned that. Because God is there. And just like I met God in a little old schoolhouse, people can meet God in our next church plant whether it be a school or another public building or however God leads us because he's always faithful to open the doors and to, to lead us. It's in my, my own view that we and other churches need to start many new churches to reach the city of Edmonton because it will take new churches to reach a new generation. It will take new churches to reach a new generation. Ten years from now, the culture will change again. And we'll have to be in tune with the culture. We don't have to worry about the message. The message is unchanging. It is always the same. But how you connect with this generation and the next coming generation is the challenge that will face many of the new churches that will come on the scene. The great banquet is simply another way to, for us to think about how God wants us to be in relationship with each of us. A relationship with knowing that, that there is a God, that there is a relationship with Him that is possible and is personal and is meaningful. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, If you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take the yoke I give you, Put it on your shoulders and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. A yoke is what you put between two horses, two oxen, two cattle, so that the load is lightened. <clears throat> Instead of just one of the uh, horses pulling the load, well, two can share it. 
So Jesus says, well, yoke with me. Partner with me. And I'll help you carry your load. Just come. Just come. Come to the heart of God. And I hope you'll hear that this morning if you're trying to walk the road alone. That you can partner with him. And that he'll walk beside you. And he'll take the load. And he'll carry it with me. And he'll say, I'm so happy to partner with you because he's for us and he's not against us. Secondly, the invitation to the great banquet is also an invitation to come to the heart of God to experience his power and his transformation day by day. As we gather around the banquet table and partake, it reminds us that the life-giving power of God flows into our hearts through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We sit at his table and we receive. We become stronger as we receive. We receive the bread of life. We receive the living water. And he wants to be all of that for us. And every day, he wants to be that source of strength and energy for us. Thirdly, the invitation to the great banquet is also an invitation to kingdom living. It's an invitation to kingdom living. This is the place where we see more clearly God's heart for how we ought to live. We gain a kingdom perspective. We realize what this journey is really all about. This is not about us, our life journey. This is about the kingdom. And we were made to be wise stewards of the world's resources because they belong to the king. We were made to help shape the direction of the planet. It's amazing. But we were made to help shape the direction of the planet. We're horrified by what happened on Friday in Paris. Horrified. And lest we forget what happened in Beirut just the day before that. And Baghdad the the day before that. Where does it all end, somebody said the other day. Where does it all end? And the whole world is just in tension and turmoil and tentative and frightened and wondering, can it happen here in Canada like that? But, see, we were called to have a part in God would, what God would want the world to look like. We're given a kingdom mindset and, and, uh, and uh, how the world should show justice and mercy to the poor and the less fortunate and the oppressed. And this is God's heart that we view the world from a kingdom perspective. And the world needs this perspective today. It needs it desperately. God's kingdom. This is discipleship. And every investment in discipleship at TCC is an investment in kingdom living and kingdom perspectives and a perspective that influences the whole world. The Just Imagine initiative is a blessing to us because it has helped our leadership gain some clarification for the future. Where does God want us to go from here? And so we are very grateful for some clarity, for clarity for ministry. We've continually come to see that discipleship is a focus that we want to keep lifting up. Pray that God would help us to be all very intentional about growing as disciples and about being disciple makers. We've been invited to come to the banquet to discover the heart of God for us. And we're all invited It's the best invitation in the world. And as we already kind of focused on this morning, God's church is all over the world. 
God's church is in every country, every nation. And it's our prayer that God's love and word would be declared. And as it's declared, that people would come. They would say yes to the invitation of God. But not everyone accepts the invitation to come. Isn't that sad? Not everyone accepts the invitation to come. Now, there's a context here, or a setting out of which... uh, out of which this parable arises. It's a Jewish context. And Jesus was eating in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. They were trying to trip up Jesus like usual. And Jesus watched these proud men pick out places of honor at the dinner table. And Jesus spoke to them about choosing the lowly place. He said, you know, if you choose the lowly place, then it won't be embarrassing. If somebody comes along and says, well, somebody else should have that more prominent place. And this is back in verse 12. And, and then he told the Pharisees that they had invited the wrong guests. See, they had invited the A-list. They felt that they were in. They were in. He told the Pharisees they invited the wrong guests. They should have invited the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind instead of all these friends and all their relatives and all their rich neighbors. Oh, no, they, they invited the wrong group of people. So out of this Jewish-Pharisee context, Jesus tells this story of the great banquet. And so many invitations were sent out. Now just think about the parable. God the Father is the master in the story. And God the Father prepares a great banquet at which people can know Him. They can know His power. They can know His kingdom perspective. They can know what He wants for us in this life. And He just doesn't invite the A-list. He he invites many guests. He wants this banquet to be huge. He wants this banquet to be a blessing to everyone. And he sends Jesus, who is the servant in this story, to go and tell all the invitees that the banquet's now ready. And all you have to do is come. It's not potluck. You don't have to bring something. And I wonder if my dish will be as good as my neighbor's and if there will be a comparison. You don't have to bring anything. You just have to come. The banquet's ready. Well, you would think the iPhones would start buzzing and texting and everybody's getting excited about the big banquet. You go into the big banquet, you know when it's going. It's going to be so much fun. I'll see you at the banquet. I mean, who would want to miss this banquet? To be with God. To experience his love and his sense of care and purpose. I mean, who would miss that? Who would want to miss that one? And did you notice verse 18? They all began to make excuses. And notice the excuses that people gave for not attending. The first guy said, I I can't come to the party. Guess what? I bought a field. (laughs) You what? You bought a field. How does that make any sense? So what? The field is not going to move. The farm is not going to move. It'll be there tomorrow. Second guy says, I I, I got some new oxen. So what? They aren't going anywhere. We could say, I can't come. I got a new car. I can't go. I got a new snowblower. Scratch that. Lawnmower. I got a new lawnmower. I'm not going to let my lawnmower keep me from the banquet, am I? 
What a crazy excuse. Third guy said, I just got married. <laughs> I just got married. I can't go. I mean, how does that make any sense? That you can't go because you're married. You could go together. You don't have to exclude the world because you just got married. And they're all lame excuses. But they're all kind of polite excuses too, aren't they? Remember? All I said was, all I said was, I got, I got, a, I got a field. I got, a, I got some oxen. I, I just got married. That's all I said. They are polite excuses. You get the sense that maybe they have some interest in attending, but it's not enough to get them up off their butts and get them going to the banquet. They're just not ready to go. They have other kingdoms. They have other power sources. They have other relationships that are not in focus. And, and go to this banquet? I don't think so. Excuses. I wonder how we have responded to the invitation of God to come to his heart, to experience his love and his forgiveness. To walk in his way and be directed towards kingdom living. The invitation goes out, but there is there's no heart. There's no heart to enter into the banquet of God. Oh, a number of years ago, probably about 20 or 30, author Wilbur Rees put it this way. His little book. He said, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a person of another country or pick beets with a migrant worker, but just enough. Now you got me off track here because I was following on the screen. <laughs> no problem. I don't want enough of him to make me love a person of another country or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. I want to uh, invite Joelle Herbold to come. And I asked her to take a look at this great banquet story and kind of maybe make sense of it a little bit from her perspective. Uh, Joelle, uh, thanks. Married to Ryan, have a couple of kiddos, one just back in May, little Abigail and Levi. So let's uh, just go ahead. It's yours. Hello. Uh, excuse me if I need to take a sip of water. I just have a little bit of a cold still. So, All right, so Pastor Ken asked me to share on Luke 14, 15 to 24. I'm no trained theologian, but there are a few emotions that stir up within me when I read this passage. First thing that caught my attention was all the excuses that were really lame, especially in this context. I want to make sure that I don't have excuses that interrupt or distract me from God's plan for my life and also for others. I personally have to be careful 
that life tasks, money, and hobbies don't take precedent or interfere with me taking time, loving my Creator, and being with Him. This can be hard, but He sends reminders along the way that help. An example, I really like to do home accents, making rooms cozy, etc. I buy things that bring temporary happiness, and they can look so good. The other day, when I was sitting on my couch holding my five-month-old, everything else in the room seems so bland compared to the life in my arms. It's like her eyes twinkled, and she had this incredible spark of life. Nothing else in the room had life. It was all dead. This moment reminded me of two things. It's people that matter. Life. I want to be involved in people's lives, whether that be my own family, friends, neighbors, community, etc. The other thing it reminded me of was how I think God looks at us as a precious treasure that he so desires to lead, love, challenge, and help grow. Parenting truly helps me to see this, as I totally want for my kids to know they are loved, know I'm there to help, and know that they can grow, and that there may be some heart pains along the way, but I'll try my best to be there to help. God is even better, though. He says he'll never leave us and never forsake us. John 15, 16 to 17, says, show, um, shows more of his heart. It said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command to love each other. Secondly, as Pastor Kenneth said already regarding this passage, it's a royal invitation given to us all to come and experience his heart, his power, and his kingdom. Doesn't this get you excited? <laughs> I want to know the creator of the world's heart, power, and kingdom. God has a strong desire for us all to be his people. I want to journey with a God who forgives me no matter how many times I ask, who knows my faith and will continue to prune me, can be painful sometimes, for my benefit and for his kingdom. I wanted to learn contentment this year. Sometimes laundry, diaper changes, teaching life skills, etc., they can be rewarding, but they can also be monotonous. Uh, learning contentment is great, but I want to make sure that I'm also striving for what his dreams are and what his sights are as they'll lead me to see his perspective and help me to be the change and the love in the circumstances, roles, and challenges I'm placed in. Remember that verse in Revelations where he talks to the church saying, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Let's be a people that are hot. I love this big dream of getting our debt down and gone. Seriously, I know how excited I would be if that were my mortgage. And humbly, I say, that initially I would probably think about where I could put my now free money into traveling, fun purchases, etc. But TCC is wanting to free up, I believe it's 250000 every year to bless and put into the community, into people, which will affect lives which in turn is impacting the spiritual realm. Woohoo! 
Uh, and we can not only be involved financially in this, but I think really importantly, prayerfully, as our church will need wisdom and direction as to the best timing and placement of these funds so they can be used for his kingdom. It's through his spirit and his guidance that any, any money, words, actions, that they can be life-changing. And thirdly, the invite is to all. This humbly reminds me to never be holier than thou. God wants his house to be full. Jesus was involved with tax collectors and sinners. I need to ask God to give me his heart for those around me, to see people the way he sees them. In Philippians 2, 3 to 4, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for, um, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let's do this. To sum up, I need to learn to take time to hear what he is saying to me so that I don't miss his heart, his call, especially with so many distractions or other perspectives surrounding me. The same goes for our church as a community. I read a verse last week in Hosea 10:12 that said, Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Let's take time to seek the Lord so that no matter how big or small our thoughts, actions, or words are, that they are spirit-filled and used in his timing to make an impact. Wow, thank you, Joelle. And uh, what are you doing next week? A good tag team member? Love it. So the second verb is go, and I'll be brief. When the servant reported that the invitations were all turned down, <clears throat> the master was upset. His own, people, his own people turned him down. It kind of makes you think about John chapter 1, his own people received him not. And so he told Jesus, he told the servant to go back out and invite the poor and invite the crippled and invite the blind and the lame. And after the servant did this, there was still more room. And he sent him back out then to urge everyone to come in. So that's the story. There are so many goes in this section of the, of the passage. And, and, and that's exactly the heart of Jesus, that he went. He responded to his father. And, but now he has transferred his going to us. And that's what strikes me, that he has transferred his going to us. And if you've come to know the heart of Christ, if you've come to know his love, if you've been transformed, if you're in the family of God, you now have a job description for the rest of your life while you're on this earth. You are to go and tell. You are to go quickly. You are to go outside the city. That maybe means you are to go to other countries. You are to go everywhere and you are to invite everyone to come in. I was reminded of the story that I have shared with you, some of you before, from the book What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And an article appeared in the Boston Globe in June of 1990 of a most unusual great banquet. <clears throat> a woman accompanied by her fiancé went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to plan for their wedding reception. They had expensive tastes, especially for 1990, and they offered, uh, they, they uh, ordered an evening meal for the reception, 
which amounted to about $13,000 for all their guests. They put down a deposit for half that amount. The day the announcement was to hit the mail, the groom got cold feet. He said, I'm not ready to do this. When his angry fiance returned to the hotel to cancel the request, the manager said, I'm so sorry. We have a policy and the contract is binding. You are only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options. One is to forfeit the rest of the down payment, or second is to go ahead with the banquet. The manager said, I'm sorry about that. I really am, but it is our policy. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. Uh, she had now gotten back on her feet. She had a good job. She set aside a sizable nest egg. And now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was in that June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. <coughs> <clears throat> she said uh, she sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And that summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Bag ladies, vagrants, addicts took one night off from their hard life on the streets and came inside and sipped champagne and ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Comical as that little story might be, there are some clear similarities to the heart of God for everyone on the planet. He doesn't just select the A-team. He does care about the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And his invitation extends to the whole world. The master says, urge anyone you can find to come so the house will be full. I know, I know that we're grateful and I know we're excited <clears throat> about the growth that we've experienced at TCC. It's awesome. But on the other hand, when you look at the magnitude of this community, I know we all have to say, we've just started to scratch the surface. <clears throat> when you see how many families have moved into Southwest and have built homes, I mean, it's clearly one of the fastest growing areas in the city, if not the fastest. And there are few churches in the area. And so the question we have to ask is, what does it mean for us? And as long as there's one person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, this church is going to keep reaching out. Because God has never made a person that he doesn't love. He's never made a person that he didn't die for. He never has made a person that he didn't want to be in heaven with him forever. So we will continue to have a going faith. And here's what our going faith will look like. We're going to ask God to show us the way. We're going to ask him to show us the way. Even tonight... We're going to continue to ask, 
pizza at 5 o'clock and then we enter into a time of worship and praise and prayer right here in the auditorium. I encourage you not to miss it. I invite you to come and to pray, to ask God. We're going to ask God to show us the way. Secondly, we're by God's grace going to go together. We're going to go together. The leadership team, the staff, the elders, the cabinet, our prayer team, our communications team, they've been a huge blessing. And we've worked together to see God's direction. Over the next six months, over the next 12 months, we're going to ask God for wisdom. We're going to ask one another for counsel, and together we can lay the foundation for some exciting next steps. And one by one, we'll look at all these priorities and begin to move forward. We can accomplish more together than we could ever on our own. One drop of rain doesn't make any difference, but a million drops of rain can turn a desert into a garden. And then finally, we're going to develop our faith and our commitment to Jesus Christ. This is an initiative to help us understand why God has put us in Southwest. He wants us to grow up, and He wants us to grow out in our journey. We're going to grow up in our maturity, and we're going to grow out in our response to who God has called us to be. And we're going to stretch in our faith. We're going to affirm a going faith. Last week, Brad, our... Our cabinet chair announced that we had reached uh, $770,000 with the lead gifts. And that was so exciting to hear. Uh, that amount has now risen to 820000 from our leadership teams and a number of people who have stepped up to say, just count me in on that. And on November the 29th, two weeks from today, we're going to invite everyone to participate. We're going to ask all of you to, to participate so that together we reach our $2 million goal and so that we eliminate our debt and we have that $250,000 savings every year to invest in people, to invest in ministry, to invest in church planting. This is a wonderful time in the life of TCC. May there be oranges in our community. May there be fruit in our community. May we bear witness to the love of Christ. May we be the salt and light of the world. There will be people who come to Christ because we are responsive to a going faith. Pastor Ed, would you come? We're just going to pray together, and Ed's going to lead us in a song. Lord, we hear your heart for us today, and we receive your personal invitation. Lord, I pray that every one of us here would have said yes to your invitation. And thank you, Lord, for all who have come and there are more, there are more who will come in the days ahead, the years ahead. But we also listen to your heart, Lord, to go. So give us your heart for, for the southwest of our city. And uh, help us to, to hear you, what you're saying. Guide our footsteps. Guide our thinking. Bring us clarity uh, that we might honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.